please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good afternoon. It's Friday, the 27th of November 2020. It's cold, but it's sunny. Welcome to our second uh, afternoon Americano. As usual, also good afternoon to our translators who, if you would like to listen to them, are available um, by clicking the button below. And there you have the different choices and you can select your language of choice. You also have a Q&A button um, where you can send us your questions or you can always send emails to nordiafunds at nordia.com. Right, for this afternoon I'm joined by Jeremy Anagnos who is based over in Philadelphia and Jeremy works for CBRE Clarion and is portfolio manager of our global listed infrastructure strategy. Hello, Jeremy. Uh, can you hear me? Hi, Paul. Yes, I can. Good afternoon. Hi. Or good morning in your case. But uh, <laughs> hey, um, first of all, thank you for, for joining us today. Um, the reason we thought that it would be good to speak to you uh, right now is that it looks like the US election is more or less settled. Um, I heard today that uh, that the president has uh, admitted that he will leave the White House when the time comes, uh, so that's good news. Um, but you know, with that done and with that more or less settled, it, there's a likelihood now that um, there's a potential for huge expenditure um, on infrastructure, and that would be, you know, the Biden administration have, have been talking about this uh, for a while. And of course, that will have implications for the asset class. So the idea this afternoon is really to, to explore that um, in a little bit more detail. Sounds great. So before we, we go into, into the nitty gritty, perhaps, uh, there is still a little bit of uncertainty and that hangs around the Senate um, because you know, going into the uh, elections, the Democrats we're talking about you know, $2 trillion spending packages, um, but we know that this will kind of depend on the final makeup uh, of the Senate. That's gonna be decided in January, uh, beginning of January, um, but maybe we could just quickly go through the different scenarios and how this could play out. Yeah, no, I, I think um, you know, the country certainly here in the US is looking forward to you know, just getting past obviously all of these election uh, scenarios and, and just kind of knowing what the path is forward. But uh, we're still in that period of uncertainty. Um, good to know that Biden, you know, will likely be confirmed. And that, you know, is um, one box that we've, we've checked. Um, so to, just to review, you know, the current situation is that the Democrats control the House of Representatives. Yep. And it's the Senate that is uncertain. And, mm -hmm. and the, um, we'll have another election in January for the Georgia Senate seats, um, and it's very tight. Um, so that could go either way, of course. Uh, if the Democrats win Georgia and take the Senate, we would have, you know, effectively a what we would call a blue wave. So uh, the House, the Senate, and the you know presidency all under the Democrats, and that likely paves the way uh, for a um, 
something very close to that $2 trillion plan that, that Biden's put forward. And that plan encompasses you know, many areas of infrastructure. It's across a uh, big focus on clean energy investment, uh, but it's also in transportation, it's in uh, communication and in improving you know, broadband speeds and, and things like that. It's also in EV charging and, and having more um, uh, you know, fuel efficient type of, of um, public transportation options. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other scenario, of course, is that the Republicans win the Senate and that they take Georgia, um, which would give them you know, a slight lead in the Senate. And then you have obviously a mixed uh, outlook for you know, no control, of course, over both um, houses there. And that may not actually change, I think, the direction too much of us getting an infrastructure spending plan. Uh, you may recall that when Trump ran, he actually said he was going to do an infrastructure spending plan. Uh, it didn't, Wasn't he going to build a wall? <laughs> yeah, he built the wall. He had other priorities. Let's put it that way. And um, you know, but there is still a, a was a desire and and obviously a recognition of the need that we have in the country to improve our infrastructure. Um, and in the current environment, of course, it's a way to promote jobs. It's a way to to get people uh, employed. We've got obviously an in, impacted economy from from COVID, uh, and so. I think that there's a likelihood that we get some spending plan, maybe not the full $2 trillion, but even under Republican uh, Senate, that there would likely be some partisan approach to this in order to, again, improve the economy uh, and do what was needed, you know, four years ago. Yeah. So, you know, okay, the, so the size of the infrastructure uh, package isn't really known yet, um, but of course, Joe Biden has been sending some strong signals around what you were just mentioning there, sustainability, uh, rejoining the, the Paris Agreement, um, and, and also willing to accelerate decarbonization. Um, I read that he uh, is, is targeting net zero a carbon economy by 2050, um, but in the meantime, he wanted to, to try and achieve a carbon-free power sector by 2035, so much shorter timeline there, and that's well ahead of a lot of uh, the states there because each state have their own targets as well. Um, how how is all this going to impact uh, global listed infrastructure companies? Do you think? Yeah, and I, I think we've got a slide on this, but there's clearly you know an opportunity for companies in the in the power space in the energy um, environment here in the U.S. to continue to participate in this transition to a clean energy uh, future. You know the investment that's required, and this was published by Bloomberg, you know, before the election, you know, over $400 billion a year for the next 10 years in order to achieve some of the sustainable targets that states had already put forward, um, which as you noted, was, is uh, not as aggressive as what Biden's plan would be of a 2035 um, carbon neutral uh, power sector. And it's in areas where obviously we need, we need the renewable generation. So the wind and the solar assets, uh, but you need the battery storage backup. You need the transmission investments. Uh, you need it at the, uh, you know, at the user end for things like smart meters and electric vehicle charging stations. Um, and so what we would think is that likely the planned investment that was already forecast would be accelerated. So it, you know, in our view of kind of the forecast for the companies that we would see, uh, we had already s- expected this as part of the secular opportunity for them. 
but perhaps in a Biden infrastructure span, uh, spending plan, you would see some of that investment you know, brought forward into that you know, 10 to 15 year horizon. So uh, likely more positive for the companies that, that we would be looking at. Now, of course, uh, you and your team are, are running a, a global portfolio. It's not a U.S. portfolio. Um, and uh, we have James Crutcher here in London, who obviously I know very well. I think James is listening in. I saw him earlier. So hi, James. Um, but you also have people in Tokyo. You have people in Sydney and Toronto. Um, what's interesting is that this infrastructure spending story uh, isn't just a U.S. phenomenon. I mean, it, it's you know, recently Europe and, and actually the U.K. as well have also announced similar packages um, and you hinted at this a bit earlier you know this is mainly because it, it's a great way for government to to kickstart economic activity um, isn't it so maybe you could just talk about some of the other countries that are, that are looking at infrastructure spend yeah that's right you know we had obviously in the summer the EU came forward with its green recovery plan significant amount of that investment targeted towards clean energy um, just a few days ago, you know, the chancellor of the UK put forward uh, an infrastructure spending plan, again, targeting the reason for it was in part because of the, um, you know, seven and a half percent projected unemployment next year in the UK, and this is a way to, to get people employed. Um, so it's, it's targeting two areas at the same time, right? Go governments understand they have these long-term targets of achieving, you know, clean energy, and we've got to attack climate change, um, and then you can, alongside that, you know, talk about how you're going to get people employed. You're going to improve the economic outlook. Uh, it's happening in Australia as well. You've also seen, you know, countries in Asia, both Japan and China, um, recently just announced their first net uh, zero carbon targets, uh, 2050 for Japan, 2060 for China. So this is truly a global theme, this climate understanding and movement towards less carbon uh, and, and fortunately, you know, the companies that we invest in, uh, they're operating on a global basis. Um, the largest developers of renewable assets, so wind and solar facilities, are publicly traded companies. And they're companies that are, you know, some of them are listed actually in Europe, some are here in the US, um, but they're operating on a global basis. And, and really, this is giving them, their scale allows them to compete for these projects that are going to just keep coming uh, given this, you know, rising government policy support. Yeah. And as part of that, I, you know, I, I just keep seeing this, this term, um, you know, integrated utilities, and it keeps cropping up again and again, in terms of, you know, that playing a role in decarbonization trend. Could you explain what integrated utilities are and why they're so important? Yeah. That, that's a great question. We've got a, a good slide here to try to demonstrate what it means, because it's really talking about a traditional regulated utility, uh, which just owns what we would call the wires and poles. So that's uh, right. enabling the distribution of power from a generation source to the end user, a house or a, an industrial facility, whatever it may be. Yeah. And that really was kind of the legacy of what utilities used to be. Um, and more and more, we have an integrated utility. And the integrated means that they operate not just the, the regulated wires and the poles, but they may have some unregulated activities related to either the production of power. So they're uh, building and owning those renewable generation facilities. Um, they're investing in uh, the battery technology uh, for the storage 
Uh, they're investing in the smart meters in your homes. Um, and they're also investing in the grid itself. You know, the grid was originally designed to carry power in one direction. Uh, now that we have people with, you know, solar panels on your homes, um, there's the potential for power to flow back into the grid and the grid has to be, you know, modernized and hardened in order to allow for that. So these integrated utilities, um, you know, again, many of the ones that we're targeting, uh, like NL operating in Italy, um, are, you know, facilitating this transition and they're, they're going beyond just being that regulated business, um, but, it, but making that innovation, that investment that's, you know, critical for, you know, us as a society to make that step forward, you know, for this cleaner energy future. And if I got that, that's a, is that the smart grid? Is that the same thing? That's, that's exactly right. That's what yeah. it means. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay, great. The next point I wanted to, to address relates to the benchmarks in the asset class, because uh, you and I have had numerous client calls uh, and the subject of global listed infrastructure benchmarks uh, comes up again and again, um, not only because there are a number of indices, but all of them are suboptimal and, and you're, you, know, you talk to each of those and, and explain that uh, whenever we talk to clients. Um, but also actually other asset managers are sometimes tied to those, uh, those benchmarks and potentially are missing out on opportunities. And one example of that is, is this secular, secular, say it properly, uh, growth driver that often gets overlooked um, and that's uh, data centers. So where do you see the growth opportunities um, in, in data centers and why is that, you know, why is that part of a core infrastructure portfolio? Yeah, we definitely, you know, have, have tried to not limit ourselves in thinking about what are, you know, the investment opportunities in the infrastructure asset class. And, um, you know, I think this diagram here helps explain um, you know, we've looked at towers for a long time. You know, they're the physical assets that enable the transmission of data. Uh, we've invested in fiber networks um, that, again, help the transmission of data. Um, but part of that um, data management is the data center itself. You know, they, they are critical to facilitating movement of data. In fact, you know, we're, we're here on Zoom right now. Zoom. Um, is a tenant in multiple uh, facilities uh, owned by Equinix, which is a global data center operator. Um, so all this data has got to be, you know, processed, stored, and transferred. Um, and so they play that that critical role. And not all data centers, I would say, are are falling into this core infrastructure characteristic. Mm -hmm. um, there are some that are just pure real estate, you know, shells. Uh, you know, that, that aren't necessarily um, essential for a particular uh, region or, or, you know, for the internet to continue to function. Uh, but there are those that are, you know, essential and they are um, operating businesses truly. Uh, so it matters who's inside the facility and, you know, their access to, you know, um, a particular market and how quickly that they can, you know, transfer that data uh, makes them more essential. And so, uh, we've found them to be, you know, a critical part of this entire network um, and an area for growth because obviously um, we're working more and more in this virtual environment and, you know, we expect uh, to, you know, this is going to continue to grow. 
and, and these companies are, again, they're investing in and building these facilities to enable that. So uh, it's, a, it's a growth opportunity. It's an area of continued you know, secular trends. Uh, and again, there are few global players that are operating in this business, but they're you know, really um, leading the innovation in, in this market opportunity. And that is, but then these names are not included in the benchmark. Is that right? And that that's right. So they yeah. they um, due to the you know the indices as we've talked about just lack uh, consistency of definition, and they don't have a gig sector that they can just grab onto that says infrastructure. Um, and so things like data centers fall in telecommunications. You know they they may fall into specialty REITs in in another classification. Um, and so you know we've looked at you know, what are the private investors doing and how are they classifying these investments? And, you know, data centers very much fall into, you know, the largest institutional investors in the world on the private side are investing in them as core infrastructure. Uh, and so we felt that that would be, you know, an area that we should include as well. So, Jeremy, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to travel pretty extensively uh, in the U.S., and the one thing that really stands out is um, the fact that American women really love a British accent. <laughs> no, it's no, true. I'm joking. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Uh, no, I was just kidding. Uh, no, what really stands out when, when you travel around the US is the fact that much of the infrastructure in America um, is, is pretty dated. Um, and obviously that's anecdotal, um, but I do have some facts to back this up and uh, bear with me here. I've read that every day in North America, there are 850 water main breaks that's per day. Uh, then the bulk of the US power grid was built in the 19th century, so in the 1800s, and, and hasn't really been upgraded, upgraded since. Um, and another fact I have, my last fact, uh, interstate bridges are average 35 years in age and 27% of them need immediate repair or replacement. So uh, those, those are my facts. Um, the, po the point I'm actually trying to make here is, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure investing um, that's actually more to do with not building new stuff, but upgrading and expanding existing assets. Um, so that should lead to organic growth. And I just wondered if you agree with that. Uh, I certainly do. And, and uh, you know, we've been talking about some of the more exciting you know, themes that are in the market today with investment in clean energy and, and the need for investment in, in data centers and other communication infrastructure assets. But you're right, there's just kind of the, the ongoing need for, you're really just, we're talking about things like safety and reliability of what's already in the ground. Um, and a lot of the existing infrastructure is very old. Um, and it's old here in the US. Uh, it's old in uh, the UK. I was reading about United Utilities re replacing a, a couple um, miles of, of water pipes uh, in, in, uh, in their district the other day. And, you know, 65 year old uh, water mains that they were, they were replacing. And so you've got these countries. <laughs> that was touche there, wasn't it? Yeah, well, just to say that it's a, you know, in, in the developed world, we just have old infrastructure. And, yeah. we, you know, for good good measure, it was built well. It lasted a long time. But, you know, you are at that stage where you've got to replace these, um, you know, 50, 60, 100-year-old uh, assets. And so as this slide is kind of demonstrating here, there's just a, a constant need for ongoing 
replacement, you know, enhancement, upgrading, uh, but it, it is for fundamental reasons, right? Th these are safety reasons so that we have clean water. There are reliability issues so that we don't have, um, you know, gas breaks or mains that would explode. Um, obviously, these things can be very critical to the health and, and you know, overall safety of, of society. And so our companies are constantly spending capital. This actually drives uh, a recurring level of you know, opportunity in the three to 4% range of just ongoing organic growth for the bulk of the listed infrastructure market. And so it becomes a you know, very predictable way of us forecasting future returns is just that we know that they're gonna to have to spend capital. It's typically done under a regulated construct. So they know what their return's gonna be. It's at a spread to their cost of capital and that drives their you know, earnings and dividends growth. Last time uh, we spoke was on Morning Espresso back in, in July. And at the time we were talking about the asset class um, had this high sort of earnings resilience versus the broader equity markets. Um, and also you had this attractive discount to, to global equities um, and actually also private uh, infrastructure. And there was a gap there, a valuation gap. Has anything changed in the meantime since July? Have you seen moves in the market? Yeah, so we have seen the, the gap get wider. <laughs> really? Okay. That's good news. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it is uh, I think for investors trying to look at the asset class today, you know, they're going to find that, um, so private infrastructure values have only risen this year. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting to see transactions again. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, private equity groups like uh, Blackstone and uh, Global Infrastructure Partners you know, targeting assets, um, they're paying uh, prices that are 20, 30, and sometimes 40% higher than where we see the comparable assets in the listed infrastructure market. <laughs> Relative big. to global equities, it's steep. You know, we're at um, our widest discount since uh, right after the global financial crisis on an EBITDA uh, multiple basis. So, um, you know, there's been uh, the resiliency of earnings, the stability of the cash flows has been there. Um, the market has, you know, been focused on other areas in, in the broader equity market on tech and growth and, and things like that. Um, so this has really opened up, you know, we think uh, a, an attractive timing opportunity for those investors. And, you know, we speak to institutions all over the world and, and we're seeing more and more new allocations to the listed infrastructure market. And so, you know, there do seem to be um, institutions recognizing, you know, this discount and opportunity. Absolutely. So uh, my last question, because time is running. Uh, we've talked a bit earlier about uh, the, the more inclusive approach that you take and, you know, the integrated utilities we mentioned, smart grid, um, the data centers and so on. And, and clearly that's to your advantage. Um, but aside from that, I was just wondering what, would you consider your competitive edge to be in, in this asset class? Yeah, I, I think that we're, we're fortunate to be part of uh, this Seabury global platform that has tremendous resources. You know, we're solely focused on, on real assets um, and we do it both in the listed markets, which is what you know, me and my team focus on, but we also have a private infrastructure capability. Um, so we've got a team of 22 people who are out there doing private infrastructure deals. And that 
team really collaborates uh, closely with my team. And so we're able to uh, extract what we think is like an information advantage in underwriting the opportunity set for infrastructure, better you know, underwriting the return potential, also better underwriting the risks uh, of, the, of the market. And so that really differentiates us from what I see in, in the rest of the marketplace. Great. Well, I think that's a good point to, to finish up on, but we have obviously our key takeaway slide. So we'll just pull this one up and uh, in time-honored way, I'll ask you at the end if you've got anything to add. But basically, you know, as we were talking about at the beginning there um, with the election of President-elect uh, Biden, uh, we expect uh, infrastructure spending plans um, to be supportive uh, for the asset class and, you um, you know, irrespective of how much it ends up being, I think that the, the, the projection, uh, the direction is, is clear. You know, uh, there will be spending on infrastructure, uh, not just in the US, um, also in Europe and, and UK and elsewhere. Um, so good, stable, predictable growth um, is forecast for listed infrastructure moving forward. One of the big trends driving infrastructure is this decarbonization, and uh, we talked about the various uh, different types of renewable uh, generation, storage, and so on and so forth um, to, to achieve that. Uh, that's obviously new. Um, and then, of course, what ties into that, the, the changing consumer trends as well, um, and also the business uh, demands, uh, internet-based devices, and of course, COVID feeds into this as well, um, and the need for data storage cloud uh, based computing and so on. And finally, uh, this pure play uh, manager definitions that we think perhaps are not uh, fully capturing the entire opportunity set that you have. And, um, you know, the, the approach that you take is more flexible, more broad and, and gives you more opportunity to generate uh, alpha in the asset class. Is that, uh, is that, was that a good summary? That's a oh, great summary, Paul. Ah, oh, you see. <laughs> Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much, Jeremy, um, for your time this afternoon. It's, it's great to chat to you. It's always a pleasure. I dare say we'll be speaking again soon. Um, next Wednesday, the 2nd of December, we'll be running a special extended version of our macroeconomic outlook, and that will be with our resident expert, Dr. Sebastian Gali. So if you'd like to get a heads up on what to expect in 2021 from a macro perspective, then please do join us for that discussion. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert website. You'll find that at nordia.lu and you'll have all the prior um, interviews that we've done, Q&As, podcasts, and so on. And also, if you haven't already visited our new website, then please go there now. Uh, the website is www.nordiaassetmanagement.com. That's all written together. So once again, www nordiaassetmanagement.com. That's it for today. I wish you all a fantastic weekend and I'll see you on Wednesday. Bye-bye.